Hey friends, and welcome to the Moving Mountains podcast. Moving Mountains is a place to hear true stories of modern day miracles told by ordinary people just like you and me. My name is Paige, and I'm joined here in Alaska by my dear friends, Margaret and Bernadette, as we witness accounts of how God has worked in people's lives in big and small ways. As you listen to these stories of hope, answered prayers, and unexplained phenomena, we invite you to allow this space to inspire your faith and even to help you recognize the ways in which God is moving mountains in your own life. Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Moving Mountains podcast. I feel like it has been forever since we have recorded. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's been like two months, probably. Um <laughs> And it's funny because we're actually recording in real time right now. So most of our episodes, yeah, (laughs) most (laughs) of our episodes are pre-recorded, but with Bernadette moving across country and me having a baby and Margaret traveling all over the world, um, (laughs) we just had a lot going on. So we weren't able to pre-record everything, um, which leaves us to recording a week before we release this episode. (laughs) Um, the first. <laughs> yes, but it's actually kind of fun because our mini miracles will be very relevant. <laughs> um, so that being said, also just a little disclaimer, my little, uh, our fourth co-host, Benedict Henry <laughs> is joining us today. Um, a mini and- miracle live. <laughs> yeah. Last week's mini miracle. <laughs> so if you hear some heavy breathing or cooing, um, you can blame that on Benny. Um, Welcome, Benny. We're so glad you're here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Today we have um, a very unique miracle story. Um, one of my dear friends, Galen, who I was joking before, she's one of my OG friends because we go all the way back to childhood yeah in California, like we were saying, we don't even remember meeting each other, basically. Um, She is going to be, she's here with us today. Galen, say hi. Hello. (laughs) She's joining (laughs) us today and she's going to be sharing um, a story of her sister, um, but also her own family's experience. Um, So before we let Galen introduce herself and dive into her Miracle, Berna, I think you have a very important question for us. I do. And as I was trying to come up with something tonight, my husband was like, it's fall. You're recording in real time. Paige is on the call. So (laughs) (laughs) something along those lines. So the question is, when fall comes around, do you turn into the person who wants pumpkin flavored everything? So, Paige, you can start. <laughs> when fall comes around? No, that's just me year-round, and Kyle should know that. <laughs> it could be April, and I'd be asking for a pumpkin spice latte. Oh, really? <laughs> All right. I actually did my go-to drink year-round when the pumpkin spice latte is not, you know, in season, for whoever knows why it's not in season. But my go-to drink <laughs> is... A dirty chai latte with cinnamon and honey because it tastes like fall in a cup. That sounds good. There you go. Yep. Paige oh, is like fall incarnate, if anybody didn't know that. So <laughs> what about you? What about you, Margaret? Perpetual fall. Um, the answer, the quick answer is no. Um, I don't really like pumpkin spice lattes. Sorry, world. 
I usually have one a year thinking I might like it and I never like it. And I had my one last week and I was like, nope, I still don't like it. So, but I will say this, what I do is I make pumpkin baked goods. Mm. So I made a pumpkin loaf, pumpkin chocolate chip loaf for something a couple weeks ago. And I think, yeah, this week I made pumpkin, pumpkin oatmeal chocolate chip cookies or something, but I much prefer that. And I don't even really love pumpkin pie. So I go for the baked goods. That's my weakness. No pumpkin spice for me. Thank you very much, <laughs> Berna. So, well, this is funny because normally we have our guest answer first, but we're going in reverse order this time. So <laughs> um, I would have to agree with you, Margaret. I really dislike pumpkin spice lattes. They always, I always get so excited to try it and then end up not liking it. They, have, they leave a weird aftertaste, whatever. So I am also on the bandwagon of just all the pumpkin baked goods. I also made a pumpkin chocolate chip loaf like two weeks ago. Um, that? <laughs> and I usually love making like the puffy pumpkin cookies with cream cheese icing on top. But right now with my daughter's mm-hmm. dairy allergy, I can't. So I'm like waiting for next fall already. Um, <laughs> You're going to have to make them in like July or something. Cause yeah. <laughs> yep. I do love, I love all the pumpkin deco that comes out though. You know, like, just all the cute fall decorations and corn husks, all that stuff. So into that. So what about you, Galen? Well, I'm, I'm similar. So similar to you too. I'm sorry, Paige. I was. (laughs) Okay. We can't all be the queen of fall. (laughs) (laughs) Here's what I will say. I'm like one toe in one toe out. Like, Pumpkin spice lattes are not for me. I don't even try them once a year. I know they're not for me and I'm just, I own it. Um, But the one thing I did dabble into, if we're going on like the Starbucks coffee kind of train here, is the pumpkin spice cold brew. Um, if mm. you have not had the cold foam topping, the cold brew is not, it's Starbucks. It's, it's Starbucks cold brew, nothing special. But the cold foam is so good. I want to eat it out of like a giant bowl with a spoon. So even if you don't like pumpkin, I'm telling you, you need to try either the um, cold brew or this year they came out with a chai latte, I guess. So either way, it's the same cold foam on top. <laughs> and it's amazing. Highly recommend. I'm with you I on the cold that. foam. I yep. was so excited to see the chai latte with the pumpkin cold foam, but I'm dairy free right now for Benny. And I was so sad when I realized I was like in the drive through for Starbucks. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, can you do pumpkin cold foam with dairy-free milk? And they were like, no. I was like, okay, I guess I'm getting another pumpkin spice latte today. Paige, I'm surprised you don't have a whole like coffee cold foam set up at home. Like what? I actually do. And we've been using it a lot more now because... Christian asked me to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for answering my question. And um, as we all know, Paige is the queen of fall and will always be. So we'll leave it that way. (laughs) And that being said, Galen, would you like to introduce yourself to our guests? Yeah, definitely. Um, So as Paige kind of mentioned, we had met as children. Our families knew each other. We're part of the same homeschool group. Um, in California, we don't remember meeting each other, but apparently we did. Our families remember. Um, and we reconnected, I think, when we were like 10 or 11. Does that sound right? That's when we... I think it was a little earlier because my family moved to Texas 
right before I was 12. And I feel okay. like maybe it was like nine or 10. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I feel like we reconnected <laughs> then. Um, and then, yeah, you moved. I feel like we've stayed connected on social media over the years. Um, mm-hmm. And since then, you know, I had been in California up until three months ago. I just moved to Georgia with my husband um, and our almost nine month old baby, our first, our first baby girl. Um, so yeah, now we live in Georgia, um, and I work full time in PR. Um, I enjoy that so much and I'm just loving this new chapter of being a mom and, um, starting our lives out here. Awesome. Well, if you would like to, you can just dive right into your story. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to start this, uh, in my mind, my overview is there are kind of three core parts to this story. So the first part um, really is kind of a moment out of a movie where you stop and everything around you is kind of a blur, right? So I'll never forget this moment in high school. Um, I was right outside of our campus ministry office because I went to a private Catholic school Um, I don't even remember what I was doing in there, but I just remember I got this phone call from my mom. Um, and she sounded concerned. It's like this immediate moment where, you know, something's wrong. Um, and she just told me, Hey, we just found out your sister has cancer. And at the time, I think I was 16 or 17. Um, and my sister is about eight years older than me. So she was very young as well. Um, and yeah, everything just froze. I think everything kind of stopped around me and there was like this new weight all of a sudden that I felt. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of questions like for anybody who's listening, like when you hear the word cancer, whether you've been through it or not, it's like, there's just a lot of unknowns. Um, you know, you wonder what a life expectancy might be like. If it's somebody that, you know, you wonder what treatment Mm. looks like, what is the type of cancer? Like, what do we know about this type of cancer? Um, so I think just in that moment, there was just a flood of questions and, in the years to come, um, there were what I would call like a lot of treatments and a lot of triumphs. So um, my sister had a very rare form of cancer. Um, a lot of the studies, the clinical trials that they had done, the research that they'd done on it, um, they really found that uh, it occurred mostly in elderly patients at that time. Mm. Um, and it would grow on soft tissue within their body. And it was extremely aggressive. So, um, you know, being that it would grow on soft tissue, if they did surgery and took it out, if they happened to miss any tiny, um, you know, little piece of it, then it would typically grow back twice as big and twice as fast. And unfortunately, yeah, super aggressive. And unfortunately, we saw that firsthand. So, Over the years, um, you know, after I graduated high school, throughout college, my sister went through um, several surgeries, specifically on her lungs and then also on her arm. Um, And then she went through chemotherapy. She went through radiation. And so those are kind of the the breadth of treatments that she went through. Um, But then throughout that, she also, um, you know, I don't want to say during times of remission, but in between treatments, um, after they had done their best to remove the cancer, she actually, you know, went through these times where she was 
almost like back to normal with her life. Um, and she had babies. She had two babies. So I have two oh, wow. amazing nephews. Um, and that's a huge blessing. And I think what struck me when I was thinking about this chapter um, of finding out and then reflecting on all these treatments that she went through is that she didn't hide anything about her treatments. You know, she didn't try to not tell us, you know, what she was actually feeling. She was pretty honest with us about what she was going through, but she also didn't advertise like how grim this cancer was. Hmm. So when I told you guys that um, this was an extremely aggressive cancer, that's not something that she told us. Like she told us that it was rare and she heard it was aggressive, but we didn't really know what, what that meant in detail. Huh. Um, and so she was just, I feel like she wanted to protect us um, as she went on this journey. Um, and I think, I think too, it was her way of staying positive and trusting in the Lord's plan and not assuming that what we know and what research we have now is the final say, right? Mm -hmm. um, so her mentality was amazing. And like I said, she had, she lived her life. Um, she had her, her kids, they're her world. Um, and then I guess going into the part two, like I said, this is like how my, my brain works. I'm an outline girl <laughs> in case you can't tell. <laughs> um, going into part two, it's, I really, really started to reflect on the recent years. Um, and during this time, she started clinical trials. And this is probably the most amount of time that I spent with my sister. So while it was really difficult in some ways, because these clinical trials represented um, kind of a lack of alternative um, therapies for her mm -hmm. and treatments for her. Um, it was an opportunity for me to uh, drive her to all of her appointments and they were an hour or more from where we lived. Um, so we had all this time in the car to talk with each other um, and just bond with each other. And then the other aspect of that is when you go to a clinical trial, trial center, you're seeing all different kinds of people with a similar burden. Um, and I think when we go through these um, just really challenging and difficult stages of life. And when we have these challenges, it's, it can be a little bit lonely. And I think, especially with social media these days, right? Like you see people posting and they're having great lives. Um, and then you might be going through this, you know, borderline tragic experience, um, and watching somebody yeah. suffer. And so for me, going to these clinical trial centers, um, I saw people my age and younger who had amputated legs or arms because they had to do that to guarantee to get rid of the cancer. Mm -hmm. um, there were people who just had the, the craziest suffering and they were still positive. Um, and then the other aspect of that is you're seeing nurses and doctors who are caring for these people every day and researching. Um, and I think especially seeing my sister and the relationship that she had built with these people. And it was so positive. It was so light. She'd walk in and they were like, what's up, Serena? Like, what's going on? You know, and <laughs> just to see that relationship and how much they cared when they would talk to her about how she was feeling, but then still kind of get into, okay, well, 
if this isn't working, then what do we do next? Um, and still be able to have that conversation no matter how hard it was, even after, you know, having these um, really joyful encounters. So I guess that kind of takes me into um, like very recent years where, you know, some of not even her last appointments, but I'd say in the last two years of her life, the appointments I went to, um, you know, her oncologist was telling her like, I can only offer you hospice right now. Um, there's no other options. And my sister was just so, um, I mean, she was so strong, but she also went into her appointments with a game plan to a degree that like, I didn't even realize, like we would talk about these appointments. We would talk about the reality of the situation, but she would go in there and, talk to them about certain levels in her blood and draw correlations to, um, you know, deficiencies and how if she's deficient in certain vitamins or certain proteins, how that could lead to um, other issues and side effects that she was experiencing. And her doctor at one point was like, oh, my gosh, you're right. We should try that. And so to see her really go into these appointments and you know, no medical background experience. Um, it was just a testament to her resilience to me. Um, and I think too, like I told you, like her kids are her life. Like, I just think in her mind, she was like, nope, whatever it, whatever it means to get one more day on this earth, that's what I want. And it was never a burden. Um, you know, that was just what she was going to do. Yeah. That was her reality. And, and she was not whining about it or anything. So, no. um, yeah, to watch her go in and almost challenge doctors um, <laughs> in, in the best way possible, of course, was just something that was really beautiful. Um, and I feel like this, you know, strength that she had only became more apparent in, you know, the time to come. Um you know, her final, boy, maybe the final year or eight months of her life, she essentially spent in bed. Um, and every day when I would walk in, she would ask me how my day was. <laughs> she would want to know how work was going, what the latest was. And, you know, she was dealing with side effects of cancer. She was dealing with side effects of the medicine that she was taking. She was not feeling her best by any means. Um, but it didn't matter who walked in the room. There was just like this um, selfless intent to listen and to just fully immerse herself in other people's lives. Um, and of course, including that of her children. I, I have memories of, you know, her sons walking in and they would be fighting over a Nerf gun or whatever toy and just going at each other, you know, their brothers. And um, she would take it no matter what was going on, how she was feeling. She would take a deep breath and she'd look at them and she would just speak to them with the most gentle, loving voice. Wow. Um, and it was just, it was so beautiful. And, and so I think the other part of this is, her spiritual aspect and how she carried all of this. Um, you know, we had several conversations. I remember opening up to her and being like, you're so strong. Like, how do you, not just like, how do you do it, but how do you 
how do you maintain hope in God's plan and trust in God's plan, um, but still balance the reality of what we're hearing from the doctors, balance the reality of where your cancer is at? How do you trust in God's plan? And ideally, like hope for a miracle, right? Um, right. How do you balance those? And I, I remember she was just so vulnerable in her response. And she's like, I don't know. Like every day I just have to choose to trust no matter what it looks like and say, I surrender. If you're going to give me a miracle that looks like a healing, that's how you're going to do it. If you're going to give me another miracle and I just don't know what it looks like, like, so be it. Like, yes and amen. Um, so I think what was really striking to me about that is that even though, you know, she spent all this time being um, so strong for herself, for her kids, for her family, the fact that she could still be so vulnerable um, was amazing. And I think it invited the people around her um, who entered into that vulnerability with her too. It invited them to turn to Christ with her. Um, and I know for me, I can remember one night leaving her house, there was a moment where I was like, can I pray over you? And I'm comfortable praying over people, praying with people. Um, I, I have volunteered with teens for a very long time. Um, and I, I don't feel like a stranger when it comes to opening up just and letting God lead a prayer um, and just really bringing to him everything on my heart. And I had never done that with my sister mm. in a, like a very vulnerable fashion. Yeah. Um, and in that moment we entered into this prayer and I just remember feeling Christ present next mm. to us. Um, and I don't know if, you know, you or any of the listeners have ever had an encounter like this, but when you know it is, or when you feel his presence, it's, it's beyond peaceful. Right. It's like the warmth of a hug. Um, right. and it's so real and so true that there's not an ounce of doubt in what you're experiencing in that moment. Um, and I, I have to say for me, that was probably one of the most powerful prayers and beautiful prayers. Um, and, you know, it was one of those prayers where you open your eyes afterwards and you're both just like, you know, streams of tears are just rolling <laughs> in the most beautiful way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just think that that was the wild thing for me in reflecting on her journey is how it brought other people to Christ. She was like, in my mind, she was there. She was vulnerable. She was open. Um, I, I, it's clear to me that she turned to him every day. But the way that her story brought me, my sisters, my parents, my husband, my just everybody, you know, to witness um, her unceasing joy um, and devotion was amazing. Um, and so on June 29th, in 2022 last year she took her last breath and mm -hmm. it was six days after her 33rd birthday 
and eight hours after my grandmother passed. Um, and that in itself is just crazy still to me to this day. I'm like, wow, like my grandmother, (laughs) you know, took her last breath not long before her. Um, I think the significance of it being her 33rd birthday, you know, only days before was really beautiful and comforting to me in some ways. Um, And yeah, I just, I think in reflecting on the miracles, kind of like closing and rounding out this story is miracle number one was um, just like the adventures that she had during her life. I mean, I remember her telling me at one point, her doctor told her not to get scuba certified and not to go scuba diving and that her lungs could literally explode (laughs) um, from the pressure because she had surgery on them multiple times. And so what did she do? She said, I have cancer. I'm going to live my life and go scuba diving. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, I love it. I don't know if my mom will hear this, but I know she definitely said, don't tell mom. So, (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, what can she do about it now, right? (laughs) Well, you know, here we are. Um, And not to mention, you know, adventurers traveling, scuba diving. And I mean, the greatest adventure of them all, I think, was her two kids, right? Like, there's after, you know, having my first in January, um, I've thought about her just constantly in different moments of motherhood. And, um, I, I just have a whole different perspective and, um, an amazing amount of admiration for what she went through while prioritizing being a mom. Um, because being a mom, you have to balance everything. So, what she did to me is like mind blowing um, to care for her family mm-hmm. and her boys and go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say miracle number two. I remember at one point when I was looking at the clinical trials for her, just trying to do some research um, on what her options were. I was also looking at her cancer and previous clinical trials and research and studies. And um, I think the, the longest somebody had lived after being diagnosed with her type of cancer was 12 months and she lived 10 years. Um, wow. So that in itself, yeah, is an amazing, amazing blessing and miracle. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode. We look forward to sharing part two with you next Wednesday. Thank you for listening to the moving mountains podcast. If you have a miracle story to tell, please call our hotline at 412-449-9609. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Moving Mountains Podcast AK. We encourage you to subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and share our podcast with others. We'll see you next time.